are listening to Cold Lake Community Church Podcast. I hope today's message inspires you. Cold Lake Community Church, a place where families come together. Well, Jesus saves. We've been talking, singing a lot about our Lord this morning. And uh, we're preaching from James chapter 4 today. James is a tremendous book on practical Christian living. And uh, if you follow the instructions in James, uh, it'll help the people that you come in contact with to know even more, give you more credibility in sharing the news that Jesus saves and he keeps and he satisfies. James chapter 4, we're going to be going through that chapter today. Father in heaven, I just want to thank you for what you've been doing in this service already. You've touched our hearts, you've stirred our spirits. And Lord, now we are ready to receive from your word. Bless your word to our hearts in Jesus' name. Amen. James chapter 4 deals with Christians who struggle with their fallen nature, intensified by the influence of worldly wisdom. We still struggle with that today. Or am I the only one? He refers to the people that he addresses as adulterous, sinners, double-minded. It is closely related to the improper use of the tongue in, that we looked at in chapter 3. The tongue of James chapter 3, verse 5, set the church on fire in a, in a wrong way. They were attacking each other. They prayed inappropriate prayers, prayers with wrong motivation. They were judging each other wrongly. And chapter 4 of James continues the line of thinking we read in chapter 3. There the problem of worldly wisdom, of having bitter jealousy, envy, selfish ambitions, reveals that we are following the wisdom of the world and not the wisdom of God. Following the wisdom of the world not only causes ruin to ourselves, but it also causes problems for the church. Paul talked about this as well. And Christians fighting with other Christians, divisions, hurt feelings, tensions, and strife are readily seen by outsiders. It don't stay within the walls of the church. 
causes potential believers to be turned away from the truth. And believing what the world says about the church rather than what Christ says about the church. The local church becomes dysfunctional as it cannot be the light in the community because they're fighting with one another. James now identifies the sinfulness that is causing these problems. I want to tell you, it is so much easier to preach this message in this church than having to face a group of people that are at each other's throats. But the one good thing about when you do a series of sermons, if you'll be true to the scripture, you'll cover every topic. And this just happens to be what James 4 is about. And first of all, he talks about the control of our passions. Every born-again Christian is well aware of the spiritual internal battle that we face continually. This is something that applies to every one of us. These battles produce much physical conflict at home, at work, and often in the church. And James now directs us to the source of these problems. We live in a pleasure-driven society. And this pleasure-driven society teaches that if it feels good, do it. You don't find that in the Bible. It's real popular in the world. But that's not in the Bible. Be happy. Well, the Bible has a better word. Joy. The joy of the Lord is our strength. Happiness is based upon your physical condition at any given time. But joy is spiritual. It's based upon the promises of God's word, what he has done, what he will do, what he is doing right now in your life. Obey your passions and your, and your thirst. That's what the world says. James says, this comes from our desires for pleasure that war within us. To avoid the difficulties all around me, I must consistently look within. And the first thing I realize is that pride promotes strife. James chapter 4, verses 1 to 3, we'll read that first. Where do wars and fights come from among you? Do they not come from your desire for pleasure that war in your members? You lust and do not have. You murder and covet and cannot obtain. You fight and war. Yet you do not have because you do not ask. You ask and do not receive. 
because you ask amiss that you may spend it on your pleasure. Some of you are young in the faith. You may not realize this. But I ask this question. Why is it that churches could split over the color of the carpet? I actually know of churches that have a great split over the carpets. The type of music we sing. There are people that will not come into this building because of our style of worship. But there are others, you can hardly get them out to lock the door when it's time to go home. Churches split over the version of Bible you use. James tells us it's our inward passions that are at war within us that cause us to do such things. It is certainly not wrong to have passion and desire, but let's be passionate about what God is passionate about. Passionate for Him as He is for you. Love for others. Passionate for the salvation of souls to spread the good news that Jesus saves and keeps and satisfies. You can be passionate about your job. You can be passionate about your family, about your children, about your spouse. You can be passionate about your choice for your career. But if you are including God in all of these passions, it makes it so right. But we can be passionate in a wrong way, in a sinful way, in an evil way. And I don't have to spell out these passions for you. Every one of us are too much aware of what these are. James goes on to say that rather than being led by, un, by ungodly desires which lead to fighting and broken relationships, ask God for direction. You have not because you ask not. But ask with a clean heart, with right motives. Check your heart as David did. Psalm 139, verses 23 and 24. Psalmist David said, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my anxieties and see if there's a wicked way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. But when we pray a prayer like this, we need to be willing to listen. You see, prayer is not always talking to God. It's also listening. We need to be men and women of the word so that we know what the Bible says. And when we pray a prayer like this, having read the word of God, the Holy Spirit will remind you of what the word says. And the second thing is spiritual adultery. 
When we ask God for things that will bring us pleasure without any regard for the fact that God blesses us to be a blessing, we are committing spiritual adultery. And this brings us to verses 4 to 6. Adulterers and adulteresses, men and women, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Whoever therefore wants to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Or do you think that the scripture says in vain, the spirit who dwells in us yearns jealously? But he gives more grace. Therefore, he says, God resists the proud and gives grace to the humble. Remember, we are the church, and the church is the bride of Christ. Together, we all make up the bride. We are one body in Christ, the bride of Christ. And I came across this illustration, and it says... The imagery of symbol or, and symbolism of marriage is applied to Christ and the church. The church is comprised of those who have trusted in Christ as their personal Savior and have received eternal life. You've got to be a person who have accepted Christ into your life to be a part of the bride of Christ. We have to realize that the Bible tells us that no sin will enter heaven. No sin. The, if God let one sinner, unconfessed sinner, into heaven, heaven wouldn't be heaven anymore. It would soon deteriorate into what this world is today. And so, the only thing that makes me different now than I was 50-some years ago is the blood of Jesus Christ. I asked him to be my Lord and Savior. I accepted what he did on the cross as a full payment for every sin that I had committed up to that point and every sin I will commit after that. And the only difference now is I often have to come to him and say, Lord, forgive me. Forgive me, Lord, I've sinned. I'm a born-again believer, blood-washed. The Bible says if I commit sins, they are forgiven. The blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses me from all unrighteousness. But you've got to make that start. You've got to say, Jesus, I accept you as my personal Savior. I believe that you died on the cross for my sin. I receive that as a pardon for my sins. 
And then from there on, you begin to live a life that the Bible teaches us to live with Christ's righteousness applied to your life. So we are the bride of Christ. Revelation chapter 19, verse 7 and 8 says, Let us rejoice and, ex and exalt and give him glory, for the marriage of the Lamb has come, and the bride has made herself ready. That's the church. It was granted her to clothe herself with fine linen, bright and pure. The fine linen is the righteous deeds of the saints. And I want to tell you, the moment that you ask Jesus Christ into your life, that's when you become a saint. There's no human being can name you a saint. God's word tells us that the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all unrighteousness, and you become saints. Hard to take in, isn't it? We could look around and say, oh, I could see Sister Exani, she's a saint. But me? No, no way. But that's what the Bible calls us. We're saints. Amen? Now, so here's the quote. Why would a husband give his wife money to take her, her boyfriend out on a date? Accordingly to James, accordingly, to James, that is exactly what was going on. Their desire and passions were not directed towards Jesus Christ, but for their own personal gain, and this amounts to spiritual adultery. When we are born-again believers, and we start dabbling in things that are ungodly and unholy, that's spiritual adultery. We're being unfaithful to our bridegroom, Jesus Christ. Friendship with the world is referring to the ungodly system of human life as it is lived in separation from God. Paul makes it clear that this is referring to entering into and condoning sinful practices of others. You can befriend someone without agreeing with their sinful practices. 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 9 to 12, I wrote you in my epistle not to keep company with sexually immoral people. Yet I certainly did not mean with the sexually immoral people of this world, or with the covetous, or extortionists, or idolaters, since then you would need to go out of the world. But now I have written you not to keep company with anyone named a brother who is sexually immoral, or covetous, or an idolater, or a reveler, or a drunkard, or an extortionist, not even to eat with such a person, for what have I to do with judging those who are outside? Do you not judge those who are inside? John confirms this and explains what loving the world actually is. 
John, 1 John chapter 2, verse 15 to 17. Do not love the world or the things in the world. Anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, here it is, the lust of the flesh, the desires of the flesh, lust, desire, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life, is not of the Father, but of the world. And the world is passing away in the lust of it, but he who does the will of God abides forever. Lust is ungodly, unholy desire. To be friendly towards the world is to cherish a relationship with those who, who exclude God and God's will for their lives. It is to value their approval and to participate in their sins. If you're going to win anyone for the Lord, you're going to have to befriend them. You're going to have to make friends. But you're going to have to draw a line and say, this is where I stand. If you don't want me to be your friend because I won't go to the bar with you on Friday night, then too bad. I've been there and I've done that. And I like the wine of the Spirit much better than the spirits that you get in a bottle. And I want to tell you my experience in those days. I had a greater time talking about it and being reminded of some of the things that I did when I wasn't in my right mind because of alcoholism than when I was actually doing it. Folks, you don't have to do what the sinner does to be his friend. A true friend don't just let them go ahead and keep on going down that slippery slope until there's no end in sight. A real friend tells them how you got out of that mess. Tells them how you found Jesus Christ to be your all-sufficient one. Gives you joy and happiness. Effie and I have 52 years of married life, 52 good years. But if at 24, I believe around 24 years of age, when I gave my heart to Jesus Christ, if I had not done that then, we would have been another fatality on the sands of time. Another marriage that didn't work out. It's the love of God that was shed abroad in our life that has brought us through the rough times in marriage. Love for God and love for each other. 
That's what God can do for you. You say, but pastor, it's too late for me. My marriage is over. I've been married for the second time, third time, fourth time. Folks, it's never too late to put your trust in God. It's never too late to say, Lord, I have done some wrong things. I have made some terrible mistakes. But if you can do anything with me, do it now. And he will. The sun can shine again in your life no matter how dark it looks right now. My God is able to do exceedingly abundantly more than you can ask or think. To be friendly with the world is to cherish their relationships. To value their approval. Participate in their sins. We don't go there. We are called to lead people to Christ, not have them lead us away from Christ. Jesus teaches that we cannot be divided in our commitment to him. No one, he said in Matthew chapter 6, 24, no one can serve two masters. For either he will hate one and love the other, or else he will be loyal to one and despise the other. And he applies it to riches, to money. He said you cannot serve God and mammon. The Bible declares that God is jealous over you and I. Thirdly, humility cures arrogance and pride. If we have taken a wrong turn and end up being a friend of the world, God has a solution. If you, like me, Sit down one day and begin to assess your life and come up with the sad conclusion, I've got a yellow streak going down my back. I'm a coward. I have gone with the crowd when I should have stood up. James chapter 4, verse 7 and 10. Therefore, submit to God. Here they are. There's seven things that he says there. Submit to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your heart, you double-minded. Lament and mourn and weep and let your laughter be turned into mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord and he will lift you up. What he is saying here is show genuine repentance. Repentance 
means turning away, going in a different direction, in the opposite direction. Show genuine repentance. Take action. Follow the Word of God. How many of us have said one of these days, I'm going to be different. One of these days, I'm going to get back to reading my Bible again. One of these days, I'm going to get back to praying. But weeks go by, weeks turn into months, and months turn into years, and the heart gets harder and harder, and you get more desensitized to spiritual things. The things that once was sin that you would never, ever think about doing is now okay. Folks, it's not okay with God. God didn't change his mind. You've changed yours. Humble yourself before God. He'll lift you up. Never forget, we're fighting a spiritual battle. Whether you want to acknowledge it or not, you're in a spiritual battle. There's a battle for your soul. And the devil won't give up until you've drawn your last breath. You need Jesus' help to overcome. The only way you will win is if you choose to seek his help. Submit to God, resist the devil, draw near to God, humble yourself. This has to be a complete act of your will, a complete act of my will. No one else can do it for me. Effie can't do it for me. My children can't do it for me. I have to do it myself. But one thing I know you will do your part, God will do his. When we begin to walk in humility, we will find that it will become easier to follow the royal law of love for God and love for one another. James chapter 4, verses 11 to 12, do not speak evil of one another, brethren. He who speaks evil of a brother judges his brother. Speaks evil of the law and judges the law. But if you judge the law, you are not a doer of the law, but a judge. There, there is one lawgiver who is able to save and to destroy. Who are you to judge another? We need to be biblical in reference to one another. Do not gossip or repeat unconfirmed reports. Don't be involved in hearsay. Unless you can confirm it 100% that it's true. And basically, the only way you're really going to know that is sit down and have a chat with the person that you heard the rumor about. Because this is what happens in a life void of humility. In fact, hard, hard, harsh criticism of fellow Christians is one of the worst expressions of pride. 
righteous judgment has already been spoken. And we should never go further. We can speak the word and allow the Holy Spirit to do the rest. But that's as far as we as Christians should go. The Holy Spirit will convince, will convict, and reveal the condition of the heart. And if we go any further than that, we are sinning. We are sinning against our brothers and sisters. We're kicking them when they're down. Anything that you and I would blush if we were talking to someone else about someone else and we did not know they were standing right behind us. And if we are saying anything that we would not want that person to know we said it, then we should keep our mouths shut. We should never play the role of God in another person's life. When we do this, we set ourselves above the person we criticize. And the greatest commandment which forbids it. Luke chapter 10, 27. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength, and with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. Some people seem to think that they can lift themselves up by putting down another. Don't do it. I said, don't do it. It's wrong and it's sinful. Let it not be said of us that we're people like that. Let's stand up for our brothers and sisters. Even if they're up to their neck in the muck and the mire of this world. Stand up for them. Be a person that they know that they can come to. They're not going to be put down. They're not going to be frowned upon. Because whether you like it or not, they're loved just as much by God as you are. Don't judge any, anyone. Don't judge people you know. Don't judge people you don't know. That is terrible. And that includes politicians. <laughs> Hillary Clinton is a child created by God. Needs Jesus just like everybody else. If God could get a hold of her life, she could do a great work, a greater work in the rest of her life than she could ever do as a president of the United States. And certainly don't, don't talk about Mr. Trump in a bad way either. 
Don't talk about pastors. Not even Pastor Hayward. <laughs> In a bad way. Evangelist, Christian leaders, television evangelist. Everyone is doing a work for the Lord. They may not believe the same way that I believe, but there's some good in us all. And realize that the trumpet sounds today. And if you're born again for all of eternity, you're going to be rubbing shoulders with Kenneth Hagin, Kenneth Copeland, Joyce Myers, Billy Graham, Norman Vincent Peale. Everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. And he's the great judge. So to do all these things invokes judgment on ourselves. Jesus said, Matthew chapter 7, verses 1 to 3, Judge not, that you be not judged. For with what judgment you judge, you will be judged. And what measure you use, it will be measured back to you. And why do you look at the speck in your brother's eye and do not consider the plank in your own eye? Judgment is a right which belongs only to God. We should leave judging to God because he has the full story. God is the only one who sees the heart. I know I came from a church, one of the churches that I was in, was very strict in church discipline, and I was on the board. And some of the things that we had to deal with in people's lives. I said to my fellow board members, you know, like I feel like a hypocrite making a decision on someone else's life like this. We need to be sure that we've got all the facts before we hold court on somebody else's life. God is the one who sees the heart. We look on the outward appearance, but God looks on the heart. Do not boast about tomorrow. We're just about through, guys. Come now, you who say, verses 13 to 17, this is the last verses. Come now, you who say, today, tomorrow, we will go to such and such a city, spend a year there, buy and sell and make a profit. Whereas you do not know what will happen tomorrow, for what is your life? It is even a vapor that appears for a little time and then vanishes away. Indeed, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we shall live and do this or that. But now you boast in your arrogance, and all such boasting is evil. Therefore, to him who knows to do good and does not do it, to him it is sin. Life is brief. 
If we have things we need to get in order, we cannot wait until later. Tomorrow is not promised to any of us. We don't know when our time is up. Do not boast about tomorrow. You do not know what a day may bring forth. James is pointing to the reality that life is not in our hands. We have tomorrow only if God allows it. Life is like steam from a boiling kettle. It vanishes so fast. Ask any of us who are in our 70s, some of us who are in our 80s, we will tell you. I think of my boyhood days, my teenage days, as if it was a month ago. I look at my, my grandchildren, and I find it hard to convince myself that they're not my children. I got boys who look almost as old as I am. We should consider the Lord's will. If we don't, it shows an arrogant attitude. My Nana would always preface this, her plans with the Lord willing. I really didn't pay much attention to it in those days. But I know now how right she was. Even Jesus prayed to the Father, not my will but yours be done. And I just want to remind you, Jesus knew the word. He is the word. And if Jesus could pray, not my will but yours, I think I can pray it too. Why do you think that he prayed that prayer? It certainly wasn't for himself. He knew the will of the Father. He knew that this is why he had come. It was for our benefit. He was a teacher right to the very end, making the most of every moment to teach us how to be humble before him. So in conclusion, this is not going to take a half an hour, don't worry. Again, we are reminded of the importance of being a doer of the word. James has been giving us practical steps to successful Christian living. Now that we know these things, he makes us aware that we are accountable. Therefore, to him who knows to do good and does not do it, to him it is a sin. So let's do the right thing. Let's start by drawing near to God.
Want to stand with me? We hope you've been blessed by this teaching from Coley Community Church. Thank you for your continued support of this ministry. Coley Community Church, a place where families come together.